my last song. How are you all doing? Good? Who would like more of God? Well, we're going to look at God's Word, and my prayer is that as we do so, as we spend time listening, but also really hearing what He's saying for us, that there will be the opportunity for us to receive more. So it's Exodus 33, and it's verse 7 to 11. Exodus 33, 7 to 11. So they're in the desert. We've had the golden calf, and um, it talks about Moses meeting with the Lord. I'm ready for business, by the way. (laughs) When I take off my jacket, you know, it's serious. (laughs) Moses meets the Lord. Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, and called the tabernacle of and called it the tabernacle of meeting. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. And so it was, whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle, that all the people rose, and each man stood up at his tent door, and watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass, when Moses entered the tabernacle, that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord talked with Moses. All the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door, and all the people rose and worshipped each man in his tent door. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And he would return to the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. Well, we're looking at another of our key values as a church, a key foundation that we are building on and learning and growing, and that is the abiding presence. Again, I'm plugging it. We have our little cards like that. Take one, put it in your Bible, look at it. But this is one of the values, abiding presence, embracing God's presence, fruits and gifts daily so that we can live empowered lives. And when we think about the uh, abiding presence of God, you know, there are many passages in the Old and New Testament that we could choose. Psalm 37, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Have you discovered that when we spend time with God and we understand his desires for our lives and our lives, uh, how we delight him, that he releases that and it unfolds before us. Psalm 84, which I started with, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, faints for the courts of the Lord. And he goes on to say, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. If we want to make a difference in this world, a lasting difference, it starts in the presence of God. And then we could, could have chosen passages like John 15, abide in me and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. And Jesus goes on to say, he abides in me and I in here, bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Does anyone want to live this life doing nothing? 
It's kind of contrary to who we are and who we're made to be. But it's all of us. We want to, in some way, leave a legacy or a mark that actually does some good in people's lives. And you see, fruitfulness that lasts is only found in Jesus. So you may be asking a question, or not. Why did I choose a passage where the context is a desert, the climate is spiritual dryness, and the conditions are stormy? Exactly for that reason. The context is a desert, the climate is spiritual dryness, and the conditions are stormy where the people of God, the Israelites, they're going round in circles because of their behavior and faith and because of their disobedience. And yet it's into this setting that we see the most beautiful and transformative power of God's abiding presence in the lives of a few good men. And the thing is, this should give us encouragement and hope. If it can happen in this kind of setting, it can happen anywhere. And the truth is here. The abiding presence of God is not determined by the abundance of our surroundings when everything's going well or lack in our surroundings when everything's going badly. Neither is his embracing presence governed or the fruits and the gifts, governed by favorable circumstances or fruitful seasons or unfruitful seasons. God's abiding presence is known simply by our obedience and our willingness to abide in his presence. His abiding presence is known by our obedience and willingness to abide in his presence. Whatever the context, whether it's an oasis or a desert, whatever the climate, whether it's saturated with his presence or completely dry, however bright or stormy the conditions around us are, And I think it's really important that we grasp this so that any excuses that we come up with ourselves about drawing near to God or not drawing near to him, they're set aside. And any obstacles that we put up in place because of all that we're facing in life are uncovered. And we see with absolute clarity that even in a desert setting, when life is at its rock bottom, as it was for the people the Israelites at this time, we can still abide in God's presence and his fruit and his gifts can still flow from us. Now, I may be doing um, YouTube an injustice here, but it seems to me that every YouTube Christian worship song that's posted, and especially when it comes to um, worshiping the presence of God, you know, songs like we've sung, is filled with young people. Whether it's those that are on stage or whether it's in the audience, um, it's all full of young people. And there are a few exceptions. And don't get me wrong, I think it's great. I think it's absolutely wonderful. I love seeing young people really seeking after the presence of God. And if I was in my 20s again, I'm sure I'd be right in the, the middle of it. But the impression can leave a person wondering whether experiencing this kind of sense and atmosphere of God's presence is for the young, the youthful, the ones with energy and passion. And if you're a person of a certain mature age, you don't quite fit in. 
So here's a question for you. If YouTube had been around at the time of Moses, do you think the trend would be reversed and we would be watching groups of white-haired and bearded men and women dancing around to let your glory fall? And when I say white-haired men and bearded men and women, I don't know what the trend was in those days. Maybe there were bearded women as well as men, but who knows? (laughs) You know, at the time of Exodus, and then about three months later at the foot of Mount Sinai, Moses was 80 years old. He was 80 years old. 80 then and 80 now is not considered young. Already in his lifetime, he'd lived in Egypt as a prince. He'd escaped from Egypt as a prince. He lived for 40 years in the wilderness, raising sheep and a family. I think it was a family and sheep, but (laughs) I don't know what his priorities were, but he was there in Midian, the wilderness, for 40 years. And then he was called back to Egypt to lead the people out of captivity. And at the grand age of 80, he leads them to freedom. I mean, that is impressive by any standards. But you know, even more impressive than all of that is the value he attributes to the presence of God. More than anything that he has seen or witnessed or done, the value he attributes. I mean, he saw incredible miracles And he so could have easily fallen into, as people do, into, you know, this kind of like hero type status. Look at what I've done for the Lord. Look at what I've done. And yet the value he attributes to the presence of God. Resting in him, dwelling with him, soaking in his presence, staying with him, being there, enjoying God's presence. In fact, a little later on in the chapter, in 13 and 15, we, we see him saying to the Lord, if I found grace in your sight. I mean, if I found grace in your sight. That in itself just shows the humility of the man. If I found grace in your sight, show me now your way that I may know you. The Hebrew word yada, it means to know you intimately. This is special friendship. That I, might find, that I might find grace in your sight. And the Lord replies to him, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to the Lord, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us out of here. In other words, we can do nothing without your presence. I mean, how many times do we think about church and doing the stuff we do and we don't really give the presence of God a thought? We can do nothing without his presence. And you see, here in Moses is an old man with a young heart when it comes to -to face-to-face encounters with the Lord. Here is an old man who loves to speak to the Lord. He loves to spend time with him. Here is an old man with a long-standing friendship with the Lord. I mean, Heather and I have a saying with some friends of ours, it takes a long time to make old friends. It takes a long time to make old friends. And what's the point? Age is never the issue. The location is never the issue. The surroundings are never the issue. The issue when it comes to the presence of God is our willingness to make our home in the Lord 
and to abide with him there. And we know the saying, home is where the heart is. Well, you see, for Moses, his home was not actually in the camp. You know, that opening verse, Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, is really significant. See, he moved home. He actually moved far away from the sinfulness and disobedience that he was seeing all around him so that he could be home with the Lord. His home was where the presence of God abided. His home was resting where the glory cloud descended upon him. Do you believe that we can see such glory clouds today? I don't. It's not for us to dictate it in any way, but it's the same God we worship. And some of us have been in Bethel and seen that cloud there. And you see, along with his young intern Joshua, his heart was to abide with the Lord, spend time with him face to face. And what we see from there is the fruits and the gifts flowing out and through them, their lives and their ministry. And that in itself is a whole sermon series. Seeing the way out of the presence of God in the life of Moses and Joshua, we see the fruit and the ministry grow. But the point is this. There's a very clear intention in both these men to make their home in the presence of God. And I think this is what God is looking for from us today. More than anything, to actually make our home in him. Let me just explain this, because what we see in this passage are two stark contrasts. On the one hand, we have the Israelites keeping their distance, watching from afar, afraid of the Lord's presence. And then what we have on the other hand are Moses and Joshua staying close, talking face to face, and enjoying his presence. And you saw this is the choice that we have. Distance from the Lord or depth of relationship with him. Fear of the Lord or face-to-face friendship with him. And there is no fence for us to sit on while we make our choice. It will be one or the other. There is no fence. And yet the beauty is that if such access to the presence of God was available to these two men, how much more is it available to us today? How much more is it available to us through Jesus and all that he has done for us as we've sung on the cross, dying and rising again, breathing forgiveness upon us, breathing the Holy Spirit, giving us all that he's given us that we may have life in him. How much more is the fruit of his spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, um, faithfulness, and self-control available to us, bearing fruit in our lives and flowing out of us to those around us? How much more are the gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to us as he determines the diversity of gifts that we read in various New Testament passages like 1 Corinthians 12? How much more are they available to us, flowing out, edifying the church and the community around us? But you see, the choice is still there. Making our home in fear or making our home in God's presence. You see, for the the Israelites, they were afraid of drawing near because of the choices they had made. 
You know, in the previous chapter, we have the golden calf um, story. And what happens is, well, Moses is up the mountain in Mount Sinai, and for whatever reason, the people decide to make this golden calf with all the earrings from the gold that they had, and they persuade Aaron, and they make this golden calf, and they worship it. And then at the end of the chapter um, 32, what we read is not only do they experience the wrath of Moses, but they experience the wrath of God, and the plague hits the camp. But you see, what happened was their guilt and the consequences of their idolatry, their sin, led them to fear, not repentance. It led them to fear, not repentance. And it's so sad. And you see, fear does this. It keeps us at a distance from God's presence. It causes us to watch from afar, spectate. And you see, whether this fear manifests itself in guilt, in superstition, still a lot of superstition around in the church, unworthiness. You know, I know that around about the age of 18, as I was kind of leaving school, you know, the biggest issue for me was I know there is a God, but how could God love a person like me? I knew the kind of person I was and the the life that I lived. You know, there was such a sense of unworthiness. And that leads to fear. It leads to creating distance. And I think for a lot of people, maybe especially these past two years, there's this sense of unworthiness for God. And when we dwell on it, it keeps us away from God. There's a fear of unworthiness that grows up in us. Rejection, the fear of rejection. God knows the kind of person I am. He's going to reject me. Or the people around me are going to reject me. All of this, letting go of control, It's my life, living it my way. And the fear of what happens if I allow God more and more into my life. What would my life look like? You see, fear keeps us from drawing near. But the good news is, Jesus has conquered fear and death. His perfect love drives out fear. When we welcome his love into our lives and into our hearts, fear cannot stay. It has to go. His perfect love drives out fear. And he has made a way for us to make our home in him. He has made a way for you and for me to make our home in him. And just as we see Moses and Joshua made their home in him in the tabernacle, so more so we can do that today. Jesus wants you, he wants me to draw near to him. He longs for us to choose to abide in him, to speak to him as a friend, to have that face-to-face encounter with him, whatever the context, whatever the climate, And whatever the conditions we find ourselves in. James writes in James 4 verse 8. Draw near to God. And what's the promise? And he will draw near to you. Draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. Draw near to God. 
and he will draw near to you. Never a time when he doesn't keep that promise. Never a moment or a second when he doesn't honor his word and it goes out. He accomplishes exactly that which he's spoken. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. You see, when we do this, not only are we empowered with his presence and the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts that he's given us flow in and through us, but something unique happens as well. When we live in the presence of God, those around us are drawn to his presence too. Even if they don't even know or understand it, they're drawn to his presence. They will see something in us that they want or they need. And they will draw near. And ultimately, who they discover is Jesus living in us. See, this happened for Moses and Joshua. And we're told in verse 7, the Israelites, those who sought the Lord, those, and, and kind of behind that sense, is those who are hungry, those who were longing to know more. The Israelites who sought the Lord, verse 7, they were drawn to go where Moses was because they knew the presence of God abided there. And this is the key for us. And I just want to finish by sharing a testimony with you. A few weeks ago, we were on holiday, flying from the UK, our flight was cancelled, which meant that we had to fly the next day. Long story short, not a great experience. <laughs> not a great experience in how we were treated and all the rest of it. But what I watched in Heather was someone who chose to fall back into faith rather than fall into disappointment. And it's wonderful. I live with someone who does that regularly. She's amazing at that. She, you know, even and especially when things go wrong, I see in Heather someone who just is able to fall back, rest into the presence of God. And it's lovely to see. So anyway, flight cancelled. Got to get the flight back the next day. Next day, we get on our flight. And as we got on, Heather greeted one of the uh, female cabin crew ladies, and it was kind of like God had placed in her heart something about this woman as she greeted her. And so I wanted, I wanted Heather to share this, and she was preaching, and she would have shared it anyway, but I want to read out what she writes as part of the testimony. So Heather writes this, early morning flight, we were the first down uh, the back of the plane. A female cabin crew was standing in the aisle, but seemed thoughtful. Um, as has been my intent and mission in recent years, I, I greeted her and asked her how she was. She replied positively, and I took my seat. Later, the same female cabin crew commented to me that my greeting and enthusiasm and energy had been encouraging to her and helped her to feel more upbeat. I then heard the father ask me to speak to her and share his heart for her, especially in calling out her identity. For most of the flight, so this is Heather writing, I knew this was something I had to do, but I needed the opportunity. She came along collecting the rubbish, and I wondered if that was it, 
but then it felt so public for her, and I was in the middle seat. Um, I was concerned that there would not be another opportunity as she was based at the rear of the plane. However, good news. When the flight stopped, they opened both doors, and we were to exit down the rear steps. And even better, they're now calling blocks out when you get off a plane. Uh, And even better, uh, we were the last row in our section, and uh, this cabin crew was standing right by our row in the aisle. And Heather says, I knew this was it. I started by thanking her for looking after us and, and for being so lovely. She in turn thanked me. I then honored her and her character, prophesying without actually stating what I was doing. I asked what her name meant, and her name meant daughter. She was from Sierra Leone. And from there, I started to share that I was a Christian and that God had asked me to tell her how special she was as his daughter and that there was something very precious about her and within her and that she had not been overlooked. She was very moved and said a number of times how she needed to hear that today. She said she wanted to hug me, but obviously couldn't, as this had been just what she needed to hear. She was not overlooked. To me, the price of one day pales into its significance. Did God plan it? You know, that's part of the mystery. But there was an opportunity as we abided in the presence of God for that to touch someone's heart. And they were drawn to something in Heather and she was able to speak a truth. And our prayer is that one day we get on a flight and this lady is there and we could take it from there. There is a choice for us all. A choice for me, a choice for you. And it seems to be as simple as the words, perfect love drives out fear. We either make our home in fear or we make our home in the presence of God. There really is no fence for us to sit on. And what God wants from all of us is to abide in him, to allow his presence to saturate everything we are and everything we do, to rest in him, to know him, to speak to him face to face. You're in the car, talk to him. You're in the supermarket, talk to him. People might think you're crazy or mad, does it matter? No. They can come and ask you what you're doing and you can just say, well, I'm talking to my best friend. That opens a conversation. Out when you go for a walk, talk to him, listen to him, share your heart. For all of us, we can do more. We can know him more. We can grow deeper in our relationship. But you see, when that happens, and all the dreams that we may have of seeing this island safe for Jesus, all the dreams we may have of seeing friends and family, one for the Lord, It will happen as his glory falls and as his presence abides in us, his people, his church. And out of us it flows and it touches because people will want to see and to know what it is in our lives that allows us to live the lives as we do. Let's stand together.